and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. I'm asking all of you this morning to allow the Word of God to do that in your heart and your mind even today. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Then Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose. They're drunk, but not like you think. Seeing it is but the third hour of the day. Everybody say the third hour. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And upon my servants and upon my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. Acts chapter 10 verse 9. On the morrow as they went on their journey and drew Unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Everybody say the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance, and he saw the heaven open, and a certain vessel descending unto him. And as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord. I ain't doing that. You know, we have a lot of audacity sometimes when it comes to Jesus. I think it's amazing that he had the, the courage to say, No, I'm not doing that. I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, Thou shalt not call common. This was done thrice. Three times God had to tell him this. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean. Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. Everybody say the ninth hour. We've talked about the third hour, the sixth hour, and now the ninth hour and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom he laid daily at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple who seeing peter and john about to go into the temple asking alms and peter fasting his eyes upon him with john said look on us and he gave heed unto them expecting to receive something of them and peter said silver and gold have i none but such as i have give i thee in the name of jesus christ of nazareth rise up and walk and he took him by the hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, and he, leaping up, uh, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And everybody said amen. amen. The third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour. Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Everybody clap your hands. Thank the Lord. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning about God's reach. We've talked about ours. Now let's talk about His. God's reach. An apostolic day. God's reach. An apostolic day. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to help the preacher. I'm going to need your help today. God bless you. Sit down and thank you for standing. A God-made day is a day of rejoicing and gladness. The psalmist said, this is the day which the Lord hath made. It is truly amazing to be living in a God-made day. I don't have to question what day we're living in. As we heard last weekend, from Brother Keith Fletcher. We know we're living in the closing days of, of time and the rapture of the church is about to take place, I believe. And uh, this is a God-made day. He made all this happen. He brought us up to 
this point. The people of the Word of God can set precedent and have set precedent for us that we can rejoice even when negative things may be going on around us. It's a God-made day whether we think we're having a good day or not. It's still a God-made day. And whether your day's going good or not does not mean that God ceases to exist in your day. He is with you even to the end of the world. So the Bible heroes have taught us that in a time of famine, it's a God-made day. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible said, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Praise the Lord. A God-made day. In time of persecution, in Acts chapter 5, they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Even in imprisonment, the Bible heroes taught us in Acts 16, and when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them from the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Verse 25, and at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. So even in imprisonment, famine, and persecution, the Bible said there's still ample reason to rejoice. Even in poverty, in 2 Corinthians 6, is sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and possessing all things. Always rejoicing, the Bible said. Even in fiery trials, and now's where it gets close to home. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you're partakers of Christ's suffering, that when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now I want to go out on a limb here this morning. I say they say that's where the fruit is. If your house flooded, or if you own a home that flooded, or if you have a family member that flooded last August, I'd like for you to stand. <clears throat> Hallelujah. We were pretty impacted by the flood, were we not? This is what I'd like for you folks to do. Not you people sitting down. Just the one standing up. I'd like for you to give the Lord a nice round of applause and shout unto Him with a voice of triumph. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He's still God. No matter how much water you got in your house, He's still on the throne. And I thank God for the power of the Holy Ghost that is with us. In every day that we live, hallelujah to God. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated. I did not ask you to do what I'm about to say next, even though I would love to see all of us reach a place, either physically or spiritually or both, where we can do this. The word rejoice. The Bible said, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. The word rejoice literally means to spin around. It means to spin around under the influence of any violent emotion. That's what it means. Look it up. So if you want to rejoice... Anybody got something in you? Stand to your feet if you do. And rejoice in the Holy Ghost this morning. The Bible said this. Woo, hallelujah to God. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Hallelujah. 
Holy Ghost here today. Everybody clap your hands to the Lord. Let's praise him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Usually rejoice means and refers to a spontaneous emotion or extreme happiness. A spontaneous emotion or extreme happiness which is expressed in some visible or external manner. I know there's people here today that are up in the years like me and where your legs and feet aren't spinning around, your heart is. But the technical definition is to just get up and do your best. And if it takes you a little while, it's okay. It's still rejoicing. You don't have to be quick, draw McGraw. We'll wait on you. We got about 30 more minutes. If you want to get up and spin around in a circle, we're living in a God-made day. And the Bible said to get up and rejoice and be glad. Go, Sister Dean Dykes. You go, lady. We've got to show you. I know y'all are my house. I feel the Holy Ghost here today. This is a God-made day for Grace Church. This is a God-made day for Grace Church, and we should rejoice in it. Man, I'm wading through my introduction right now. I hope I can finish. I'm fixing to get better. Pat, be ready. I might need a pinch runner. Amen. I asked him one time, uh, old and hurting, knees and feet don't work. I said, can you run a lap around the church for me? He said, sure, and away he went. So be on standby for pastor today. Praise God. This is a day which the Lord has made. As the Lord has called me to triumph, this is the day which he hath appointed me for that purpose. This is a gracious opportunity. I will improve it to his glory. I'm not going to be shabby or lazy or carnal or aloof when it comes to rejoicing in the Holy Ghost, but it's going to be premeditated. It's going to be focused. It's going to be intentional. I'm living in the best day of my life, and I'm going to rejoice in it. Hallelujah. Woo, hallelujah. Praise God. And I'm happy to announce that you are living right now in a time where the hand of God is reaching out to everyone. It's God's reach in His apostolic day. It's God's reach. God's reach. Sister Dean, thank you for that. It made my day. I want you to tell everybody I spun around in a circle today at church. You tell the devil I spun around in a circle today. She's fighting a lot of health issues, and it just lit me up. And some of you folks that don't have health issues is just sitting there. You might want to think about that. What's the matter? Are you too proud? Are you too carnal? Well, I don't do that kind of stuff. You win the lottery and see what you do, even though you shouldn't be playing it. Another message for another time. Let me show you what I mean. From Acts chapter 2, I read about the baptism of the Holy Ghost being outpoured at the third hour of the day. That's between 6 and 9 a.m. in the morning. Notice the correlation between the day of Pentecost and the day of crucifixion. In the third hour, 6 to 9 a.m., the crucifixion began and the Holy Ghost began. In the crucifixion, the chief priest and the soldiers mocked. And when the Holy Ghost fell in Acts 2, the men mocked, you're drunk with new wine. The thief said in the crucifixion, save yourself and us. In Acts chapter 2, the men, the crowd gathered around said, men and brethren, what must we do? In the sixth hour of the day, this is a God-made day. He made the crucifixion day and he made the Pentecost day. The crucifixion day was a bad day. But the Bible said he did it. For the joy that was set before him. In the sixth hour, there was darkness 
which was 9 to 12 in the morning. <coughs> in Acts chapter 10, at nine, between 9 and 12, Peter was in a trance. In the sixth hour of crucifixion, Jesus said, My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? In the sixth hour of Acts 10, the, the Gentiles were praying. In the sixth hour of the crucifixion, Jesus said, I thirst. In the sixth hour of Acts 10, Peter was eating. In the ninth hour of the crucifixion, 12 to 3 in the afternoon, Jesus said, it's finished. In Acts chapter 3, in the ninth hour, the Holy Ghost was just beginning. So I want to begin for the next few moments this morning to preach to you about God's reach in an apostolic day. It all began between 6 and 9 in the morning. In Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, Jesus told them, It's not for you to know the times nor the seasons. In other words, don't worry yourself over tomorrow, because what I'm about to do today will be more than enough to face any, anything you may face or take care of for your tomorrows. And then the Bible said in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Jesus had resurrected from the dead, and the Bible said that he had spent 40 days with them by many infallible proofs, giving them commandments pertaining to the kingdom of God, which according to Romans 14, 17, is the Holy Ghost. He gave them commandments pertaining to the Holy Ghost. For example, in Luke chapter 24, he said, I want repentance and remission of sin preached in my name. That's one of the commandments. In Mark 16, he said, These signs shall follow them that believe. One of those signs is speaking in other tongues. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he said to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. We need to obey that commandment, not repeat it. If I looked at Ethan and said, would you go get me a bottle of water? And he looked back at me and said, go get me a bottle of water. He didn't obey what I said. He repeated what I said. So to obey the commandment of Jesus, Brother Ben, if you're going to baptize somebody in the name of the Father, common sense tells me to find out what the name of the Father is. So when Peter baptized his first convert, I'm sure it's rolling through his head that Jesus said to baptize in the name of the Father. And he said, what's the name of the Father? Let me think, let me think, let me think. That's right, Jesus said, I'm coming my Father's name. So the name of the Father must be Jesus. We know what the name of the Son is. What's the name of the Holy Ghost? Jesus said, I will send you another comforter, which is the Holy Ghost in my name. So the Holy Ghost must be the name of Jesus. So Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I want everybody to know that Peter did not pull that message or that plan out of thin air. But he obeyed the words of Jesus from Luke 24 and Mark 16 and Matthew 28 and even Acts chapter 1 when Jesus said to be endued with power from on high. He got up and preached what Jesus said. As a matter of fact, Matthew, who wrote Matthew 28, 19, was there present on the day of Pentecost. He should have corrected Peter and said, No, Peter, Jesus said to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But Matthew understood even as well as Peter that the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is the name of Jesus. And that's what Peter said for them to do. It's making me somewhat nervous in the advent of the rapture at hand that we're having even some of our United Pentecostal Church pastors and preachers not only have they moved away from holiness, and as Brother Tenney taught years ago at the campground, that if you move away from holiness, it's a barrier. It's a guardrail. It won't be long until you start teaching a different doctrine for salvation. I've been amazed at now, and I have confirmed, I just don't repeat gossip, but I've confirmed that we have men 
across our country that used to stand in a pulpit and quote Acts 2.38 with as much or more fervency than I just did. But now they're telling people, you don't have to worry about it anymore. All you have to do is repent. It's an option if you want to be baptized. If you want to be baptized, it doesn't matter how. And the Holy Ghost is a gift, and you don't even have to have that anymore. I disagree because when I read Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19, the Bible said they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Somebody clap your hands and shout, Yes! And so, now that the apostolic day is dawned in Acts chapter 2, it's a God-made day, and we should rejoice and be glad in it. And everybody said amen. I will admit and confess here this morning that we could rejoice more and better and longer, not only if we were a little more spiritual, but if we would go to a health club at least three times a week. I don't know about you, but I'm huffing and puffing up here, man. I ain't used to this. This is pitiful. It's not old age. It's just out of shape. Somebody gave me a wonderful, wonderful compliment this week and said, you're a young, almost 60 years old. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. If it had been my wife had said that, I'd have kissed her on the mouth. The other person probably wouldn't appreciate it too much. They're here this morning, so. But the apostolic clock did not stop ticking at the third hour of the day. It kept ticking. Now I'm going to hold us accountable. We always say, boy, I'd love to go back to the book of Acts. Okay, let's see that. I want to see if you're willing. We love the books of Acts when it's Acts chapter 2. But here in good old America, and even in deep South America, we're not so kosher with Acts chapter 10. Well, what I thought. I believe the Lord speaks to the pastor now and then. Where the dawn of the apostolic day was a day of new birth. The sixth hour, which is noontime, where the sun is shining the brightest, it's overhead. (coughs) It's brighter. (coughs) Excuse me. And the noontime hour than any other time of the day. So the day of revelation from the sixth hour, or about twelve noon, is not to reveal to them one God and Jesus' name baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. They already had that revelation. They needed another one. Now this is going to get real pastoral, and this is really applicable to Grace Church. This is pastor's vision for Grace Church, which I believe is in alignment with God's vision. Again, this isn't a revelation of one God or Jesus' name, baptism. This is a revelation of who the gospel was meant for. Brother Simon Peter, along with everyone else at the first church of Jerusalem, had it in their head that the church or the gospel was only for the Jewish people. He didn't understand God's reach. You know, we all rejoice over John chapter 3. Jesus said to Nicodemus, under the cover of darkness, that you must be born again of water and of spirit. That you can't enter into the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. And we go, woo-hoo. Y'all don't get quiet on me now. 
I'm still in the Bible. I'm still in the book of Acts. Everybody go, woo <clears throat> You know you're being set up, so you're, you're wanting to play your cards right. Don't want to overcommit here. This is a God-made day, but I won't rejoice until I know what I'm rejoicing about. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but when you get to John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus made a statement in that verse that is just as important as verse 5. Does anybody know what John 3.16 says? For God so loved the Jews that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever Jew that believes in Him should not perish. It is amazing to me that what Jesus said is not what the Jewish people heard. He wasn't trying to sound fancy nor eloquent that night with Nicodemus, who, by the way, was a member of the prestigious Sanhedrin court, which is kind of like our Supreme Court. We all rejoice with that interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus, but Jesus was still talking to Nicodemus when he came to verse 16, that for God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but that come to, come to everlasting life, he loved the world. And whosoever believes in him, he loves the world. And whosoever believes in him, and he loves the world. And whosoever, who's going to get up and rejoice about that now? Who's going to get up and say, I'm thankful that the gospel, the whole gospel, is for the whole entire world. Come on, Grace Church. It's for everybody. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Peter and his sanctimonious UPC apostolic Jesus name, one God, Holy Ghost, tongue talking, all running, dancing, shouting, long hair, long skirts, garb on, was invited by some peasant family of the Jerusalem church. And the esteemed Bishop Simon Peter walks in the door. And lunch isn't made, and he says, I'm tired. Anybody that would do this at someone's house would be considered rude. Gary and Ashley, if I went to your house for dinner and said, I'm tired, you got a bedroom, I need to go lay down and go to sleep, you'd probably be offended. We invite him over for dinner. We want to talk. We want to visit. We want to pick Peter's brain about what's going on in Jerusalem and what's happening in the church and all that, and he wants to go to bed. You know, this is so funny. I put a big note on the top of my sermon notes for our pro presenter operator. I may get off script today. And if you lose me on the notes, don't no worries, don't worry about it. If the screen don't correlate, it ain't on them, it's on me. But I'm way off script right now. I want to drive a point home here at Grace Church, and I want to drive it home real clear. And real hard. When God sends somebody to our gate, we don't have the audacity to pick and choose if we won't answer that gate or not. <laughs> Peter's in a trance with all of his garb on that I just described. And God lets a sheet down out of heaven with all manner of unclean beasts. If you know anything about Jewish law, there were certain things they could eat and certain things they couldn't eat. I thank God we're not under Jewish law. We couldn't eat catfish nor crawfish. Some of you would be lost and undone today if that were the case, and so would I. But God told him to get up and eat, and Peter told God no. I ain't doing it. I'm a sanctimonious, self-righteous, Holy Ghost-filled, tongue-talking, delivered, God-set-free Christian. I've been delivered from the, the horrible traditions of Judaism, and I'm a this and I'm a that, and no unclean things ever come into my mouth. And no, God, I ain't eating. And God said, get up and eat. And he said, no. And God said, get up and eat. And he said, no. And the third time, God said, get up and eat. And Peter said, okay. <laughs> and about that time, his gate out at the front started... Somebody started shaking the gate out there. 
And Peter got up, and there was a man. God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. There was a man standing there. His name was Cornelius. He was a good man. He was a religious man. He prayed to God always, the Bible said. And he even paid his tithes. But there was a problem. He wasn't a Jew. He was an Italian. And Peter walking out there with his sanctimonious, self-righteous, Jewish, can I help you? Are you a Gentile? You're not even supposed to be on my street. But God had already given him a revelation of who the gospel was for. I'm here to tell everybody today. The Bible said in Acts chapter 10, before I get to that point, I'm off my notes. I'm running on memory. So fasten your seatbelt because it ain't good. But the Bible said Peter started preaching to them, Coop. And while he was preaching, the Holy Ghost fell. And these Gentile people started speaking in tongues. And the Jewish people, read the book in Acts chapter 10. The Jewish people were standing there going, I can't believe it. God has taken his pure, clean Holy Ghost and stepped beyond the parameter of our race. Come on now, Grace Church. They were indignant that God had the audacity to step outside of the parameters of Judaism and fill people up with the Holy Ghost that wasn't a Jew. The Bible said in Acts 10, we heard them speak in tongues just like we do. And they were horrified that people, Brother Billy, who had not been circumcised according to the law of Moses had been filled up with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm here to preach to Grace Church today. We're living in the noontime hour of the last days and we must get a revelation and understand that this gospel of the kingdom is for every man, woman, boy and girl on this planet. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, and when it happens. This is an apostolic day, and it's the whole gospel for the whole world. Man, I'm glad the praise team sang that last song. I don't know who wrote that, but boy, they were plugged in, whoever was wrote that song. And I'm thankful to see you rejoicing over that. But I want to take it a step further. This church, God's church, and Grace Church is for everyone. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, the rich, the poor, the chemically dependent, the divorced, the sick, the hurting, and even religious people. Somebody said, well, I talked to somebody Friday. He said, I'm a B.A. I'll just Baptist. I'm just going to try to spell it. and My memory ain't very good. <laughs> but that's what he said he was. I looked him down in the eye, and I said, we love to have Baptist people come visit our church. I don't like to call churches of denominations, but I'm going to do it today for the benefit of my message. We welcome Catholics, Baptists, Presbyterian, Methodists, Church of God, Assembly of God, Four Square, Four Gospel. We welcome Hindu. We welcome Buddhist. We welcome Muslim. The Gospel. This is a day the Lord has made, and I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Hallelujah. And we should rejoice. We should rejoice. Grace Church is for your ex-spouse.
We have a couple here this morning that used to be married. And now they're not married to each other anymore. They both married other people. And they cohabitate at Grace Church. And I have yet to hear of anybody that points a finger and say, well, one of them shouldn't be here because they used to be married. We better not. Now, I'm not advocating here today that it's okay to divorce and continue to attend the same church. But if you do, I've had people ask me, Pastor, my marriage is on the rocks, and if we and my spouse divorce, can I still come? Sure. Can they? Yeah. Just one set over here and one set over there, I guess. I don't know what else to say. But I'll preach to you. I don't believe divorce is the ultimate unforgivable sin. Again, I'm not advocating it. And as Brother Brian taught in Sunday school last Sunday, I believe when you get married, you ought to take that word out of your marriage. It's never an option. But if you can't and you do, the gospel is still for you. All right, now don't get hinky on me. I heard that word last week and thought it sounded pretty cool. I don't really know what it means, but it's pretty cool. We put a timeline on this stuff. So if somebody's been divorced 20 years ago and, you know, they come back, it's fine. But if you divorce yesterday and they come back, it's a sin. We're we're messed up somewhere in the, the head. There's a screw loose somewhere. I believe the gospel is for your ex-spouse and your estranged children. Everybody may not want your kids at church as much as you do. I hate my kids. I know folks. Hey, look, I've done this for a long time. And I know folks. They'd rather their children and grandchildren and even parents. I've had people tell me, I don't want my mama coming to church with me. There's a revelation that needs to go off in our head. And I told you I was going to be pastoral this morning. When Peter was commanded by God to eat what was in that sheet let down from heaven, he couldn't pick and choose. Even if it didn't taste good, he had to eat it. And I'm sure he pigged out on the pork, no pun intended. Had never had a pork chop before in his life. But him thinks you are good. Maybe my mama fried them things back in the day. That was some good eating right there. Boy, I'm glad that stuff ain't a sin no more. I can tell by looking at some of you, you're glad too. <clears throat> but Grace Church for everybody and I'm planning Lord willing to conclude this message in just a few moments with some more on that list but I'm going to wait till the end for that our vision is here at Grace Church is for everyone to know God to find freedom to discover their purpose and to make a difference that's our vision and it applies to everybody so the apostolic day keeps ticking the time the clock keeps ticking And we come to Acts chapter 3. The Bible said that Peter and John were on their way to the temple, the hour of prayer in the afternoon. It's interesting to me that in chronological order, this happened before Acts chapter 10. But in God's presentation of the apostolic day, it happened after Acts chapter 10. Because Acts 10 was at noon, and now this is 3 in the afternoon. So Peter and John are on their way to a prayer meeting. And they see a lame man. And you know the story. He looked at them saying in his eyes, give me something. And they took that as money. And Peter looked back and as typical Pentecostals go. And they often lie about it. Especially when it comes to BBT and Cheese for Christ and home missions. We don't have any money. I didn't mean to say that. I apologize. But anyway, he looked at them and said, Silver and gold have I none, you know the story. But such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man jumped to his feet and started leaping. Why? He was rejoicing because he was living in a God-made day. 
But here's where it gets tricky. Everybody say tricky. Had an echo in the room today. You read that story of the lame man being healed in Acts chapter 3, and then you get to verse 12, and they don't have it, and it's okay. This came this morning. When Peter saw all the people gather around, they were fascinated at this lame man being healed. When Peter saw that, he answered them. And he said, you men of Israel, why marvel at this? And why look so earnestly on us? As though by our own power or holiness. We made this man to rise and walk. There's this thing with Pentecostal people. I'm determined that the city of Central and our community know us for something besides holiness standards. I'm still craving what Brother Fletcher preached last weekend, the miracle in Walmart. I said that for years before he ever came here and said it. Y'all all hooped and hollered when he said it, but, you know, whatever, it's okay. But one of these days, Lord willing, somebody from Grace Church is going to see a person in a wheelchair and something's going to hit, and you're going to reach over there and say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, and they are. And both of our central newspapers, that's hilarious that Central 30,000 has two newspapers. Anyway, both of them, the headline's going to say, woman ro- risen up out of wheelchair at Walmart by apostolic at Grace Church. I long for that day. But let me tell you something. It won't happen because you're holy. The Bible said in verse 16 of Acts 3, Peter said, And his name, through faith in his name, made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Somewhere along the line, you and I have to understand we're living in a God-made day. And it's time to embrace the revelation of God in Christ and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It's time to embrace that the church is for everyone. It's time to embrace the idea that miracles, signs, and wonders are upon us. We need to receive that and make it happen in the name of Jesus. Everybody stand and clap your hands to the Lord. This is God's reach. This is the way God reaches. Does everybody understand that? Church isn't built on people we prefer. And if you don't invite people to Grace Church because you don't prefer them, you need to be up here repenting of your sin because chances are that somebody didn't really prefer you either. But here's my conclusion today. Jesus told His disciples in John 4, Say not ye, he said, that there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. He said, I say unto you, the harvest is white and ready to be harvested right now. Here's the thing. When we look at the harvest, Brother Dallas, we see white people, we see black people, We see Asian people. We see Hispanic people. We see Baptist people and Methodist people. and We always put a label on everybody. Yeah, I talked to a white guy the other day. I talked to a black woman the other day, but she was Baptist. We always put a label on people. Jesus didn't look at all the components of their culture of that day. And say, you say that it's four more months until harvest. But I say to you that the fields are wide right now with harvest. With Jewish people and Gentile people and Samaritan people and John the Baptist people. And lame people and deaf people and blind people and Pharisee people and Sadducee people. He didn't do that. When Jesus looks at the world for whom he died... It's one harvest 
of people, no matter who they are. God, I wish we could get that in our head. Church ain't built on our preferences. And I would hope and pray this morning, Brother Lewis, great to see you guys here today. But I hope if I went to an all-black church that I would be welcome there. You hear me? If I went to, what's his name, the painter? David Azuna. All Hispanic church. If I went there, I hoped I'd be welcome. We've got to get this stuff out of our head, man. If the church is going to grow. I had a white man tell me a number of years ago, he said, if black people ever start attending our church, I'm leaving. I said, okay. I don't want you here if that's your attitude. You change your attitude, and we'd love to have you. Here's the rest of the list. When we pastored in Youngstown a number of years ago, I met a man through my job. I worked for a construction company, and if you wanted to add on to your house, called our company. I was the first guy you met. I'd come and give you the possibilities of it. It's possible, and get an idea, and I'd take it back to the office, and one of our estimators would give you an estimate. I met a man. His wife, they said, wow, you're not from around here. What they meant was that I said McDonald's instead of McDonald's. And I said Bush instead of Bush. And Wash instead of Wash. <laughs> Told them where I was from and why I was there. They said, we'd like to have a Bible study. Started teaching a Bible study. It's a long, a long story. But I found out later that that man was bisexual. He introduced me to his best friend. Had been friends for years, raised in a Trinity Pentecostal church. Believed in holding the standards, speaking in tongues, the whole thing, except they baptized in the name and the titles. A bisexual man. He would leave his wife at night and meet up with another man. They came to our church. They were too embarrassed, too ashamed to say what their situation was. They was afraid we wouldn't allow them at our church. They started coming. We found out a year or so later that this was going on in their life. Both of them had been severely abused, sexually abused by relatives in times past. When one of them found out that I found out what his lifestyle was about, his best friend called me and he said, you better go to his house right now. He's going to kill himself. He's too embarrassed to face you. And I said, you get to his house right now and you do whatever it takes until I get there. I was so thankful. I could walk in the door of that man's house. His face was beat red. His eyes were swollen from tears. He said, I can't face you, Pastor. I said, yes, you can. You can face Jesus. You can face the cross. You can face the blood. Because that's why he died. Sister Murphy, that's been... 30 years ago, I suppose. Sister Murphy talked to that man just a couple of weeks ago. He wept and sobbed. He said, I don't know what I'd have done if you and Brother Murphy had not come and presented the gospel to me like that. I'd be lost and undone. He said, but God delivered me from that lifestyle. And I've never gone back. I've never gone back to it, and I believe him. It's the gospel. It's for everyone. God help us today to get rid of our bias, our prejudice, our preference. God help us today to not be judgmental, but to open our hearts, our arms to everybody. Because God can only reach now through us. I'm out of time. I could tell you about another young man who was addicted, chemically addicted, that came to our church in Youngstown. I don't want to use illustrations here. You would know who they are. I'm using somebody over a thousand miles away, chemically dependent. 
would run away from home all the time. He came in one night and his dad beat him with the, the silver tube, the chrome metal tube of a vacuum cleaner, beat him to a pulp for what he was doing and what have you, lost and strung out on drugs and living in immorality and what have you. And he walked into our church one Sunday morning. I'll never forget it, and I preached a message titled Help from an Unexpected Source. He never dreamed that God could come to where he was and do the things he had done in his life. That young man came back that night, and God filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. God turned his life around. I'm telling you, the gospel is for everybody, and it works for everybody. So, with all of my heart this morning, Whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, it's okay. There's room at the cross for you. I'm not going to ask anybody to, to step out. You might feel embarrassed or whatever. And this is why I just have everybody come. This is the reason why we do this every Sunday. Everybody come. This is why we do it so that nobody has to feel on the spot or embarrassed or what have you. But you can come just like you are, and you can stand in the presence of a holy God and be surrounded by people that truly love you, accept you and receive you, welcome you. You can truly come down here and be born again of water and spirit. You can truly feel deliverance and experience being freed from things that's held you captive for years. So while they sing, everybody come. I know it's late, and I've gone a little bit long this morning, but my heart's full today. Come on, Grace Church. Everybody come, and if you see somebody, if you see somebody that's reaching Godward, why don't you put your arm around them and be kind and pray for them and create an atmosphere of faith, to create an atmosphere of worship, to create